This is The Definite Article, a show about creativity yesterday, tomorrow, and today. This is The Definite Article. My name is Justin Jacoby-Smith, and I am here as always with my wonderful co-host in Chicago, Robin Webb. Hey, Robin. Hey, Justin. How you doing? Hi. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm sitting here sipping on a uh, on a Merry Monk's Belgian-style triple ale. It's a very, very, very sweet, fancy, fancy boy beer. Um, so I'm sitting... Yeah, I got my got my fancy boy beer. I still got the price tag on it. It's like with the ball cap, you know, the guys that have the ball cap that still have like the authenticity sticker on it. That's you know, I still keep my seven ninety nine price tag on my fancy boy beer. It's fancy beer. That's that's impressive. That's right. Um, my roommate brought me some um, vodka she got on the airplane and uh, sparkling grapefruit juice. She got she got vodka on the airplane. Yes, yeah, so it was from the airplane. Now, was this given to her by people that worked for the airline, or was this I, just a I, man on I a... I guess. Um, one imagines. One imagines. We truly live in a gilded era. Yeah, we, it's, a magical, it's a magical time for, for people that get vodka on airplanes. Yeah, man, you know, I feel like prefacing the show by saying that we're drinking might have been a little bit of shooting ourselves in the foot, but <laughs> we'll see. Um... We'll see how well, this goes. <laughs> you know, we, it's just it's about it's about being radically honest with your audience. That's you know you gotta be yeah. gotta be honest. This is this is no bit, guys. We're we're not putting on any airs. This is real life. And by and by guys, you mean uh, by the way, as a bit of, as a bit of follow up, by guys, you mean your mom and apparently my mom also listens to the program. So so we can perhaps say say hi, hi Robin's mom and hi Justin's mom, both moms. Now very listening. good. I uh, yeah, I can do that. Hi hi Justin's mom. Yeah, hi mom. Hi, hi, and hi Robin. Awesome. Hi moms. Hi moms. Uh, the conglomerate of moms that listens to our podcast. That's good. The congl- conglomerate of moms. That's good. Okay. I think that's the name of the cocktail I'm drinking. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the subject of tonight's program, I know ostensibly, is something along the lines of learning, and that's, you know, I I'm I'm a I'm I'm dumb as a box of rocks. I I feel like I don't learn so much. I feel like maybe you're you're the person I think that that can give our moms an introduction <laughs> into the, into this subject. Perhaps perhaps you you can lay out the subject matter of this evening's programming. Okay, uh, I think I can do that. We are ostensibly uh, going to be talking about learning tonight and individual learning versus group learning and how learning is just a larger part of life and why it shouldn't be seen as a different thing than life. Um, there's we, we pulled up a number of articles and videos and things on it. Where can, where can folks find the articles and videos that, uh, that you're about to be mentioning here? You can find this episode and all of our show notes at hustine.net backslash defart backslash six. Wow, we're on the sixth episode already. We're, we're six deep. We're six, we're six deep. feet deep, man. Six feet deep. Foreboding. Cool. One of the things we, themes that we keep going back to is habit building. And I think that is a really big part of learning and obviously a pretty pretty big part of life and doing creative things. 
I think that people tend to kind of shy away from that kind of thought in learning a lot because it doesn't sound very glamorous to be learning by rote or learning by learning by doing something habitually. But it's not, it doesn't have to be that unglamorous. And I, I think it's really kind of what we've been talking about, the habit, building the habit of putting yourself in the place where learning can happen more than anything else. Um, mm. I very much need to build the habit of getting myself in the right frame of mind to sit down and read long texts uh, because I have not been in that mindset for a little while. It's important. I did a lot of reading back in the day and I feel like I have been kind of missing out on that recently. That hooks in, it seems to me, uh, with the with the deschooling society. I, I guess it, I guess it's a book by Ivan Illich. Is 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 that what it is? It's a book. I I only read it on the internet, so I don't know if it's a book or or what. Yes, <laughs> yes, uh, it's it is a real book made of made of paper. I don't know if you can I don't know if you can hear that. Because one of the things he talks about in the book is right is is educational webs, and one of the things that he said that that really caught my attention was he was talking about educational webs being the idea that you need to make the opportunity to learn a part of not just the opportunity but the opportunity and the willingness to learn you need to make that a part of your daily life right sure yeah one of the things that that like immediately caught my attention when I was when I was reading this especially was when he's talking about those those webs of education he talks about forming kind of forming learning groups. Ivan Illich is writing this book in, uh, I think, 1970. Yeah, 1970. About uh, a group of people organizing around an author that they all like, and an article that they all like, a book that they all like, a film that they all like, and, you know, organizing themselves to sit around and talk about it. And when I read that, I was like, huh, that sounds a lot like the internet. You know, our, our listeners might be aware didn't exist in 1970. One of the things that he, when he's talking about the about educational webs, um, one of the things that he that he talks about, um, you know, you were talking about how he sounds like he's describing the internet to some degree. He talks about about the idea of like peer matching networks, right? The the idea that like you would be able to put in to a machine. He says, "Cause it's 1970." He says, "A machine." Mm-hmm. He says, "But you would you would be able to put in something that you're interested in learning more about." And you would get back a bunch of other people that are interested in the same thing, and and to me, like that that sounds a whole lot like hashtags. It sounds a whole lot like parts of of Twitter or like subreddits. You know, um, <laughs> not that I'm not not that I fully endorse all existing subreddits, but um, you know, it it, it sounds a whole lot like a, a small community of people that readily organize themselves online to begin to learn about something new yeah and i think that kind of the the main idea that ivan illich is talking about and um kind of an an idea that i've been proposing in various ways for a long time is that education doesn't need to be enforced because people actually want to learn believe it or not you know one of the one of the first sentences in this chapter is they school them to confuse process and substance and he's talking about this is this is what schools do. They school them to confuse mm-hmm. process and substance. And so he's talking about how um, we come to mistake schooling for education and for learning. Uh, right. When somebody says later in the book that you know if you if you kind of sit and reflect upon it, 
the majority of the learning, especially that you still retain, probably has origins outside of the classroom. When you're told to sit down at a desk and read X, Y, and Z books, and it's it's for a grade, there's there's not an incentive to actually learn it. There's just an incentive to uh, get that required grade. You know, in this in this Atlantic article that we're talking about, which is uh, which college should I go to? The writer talks a little bit about quote unquote incentivizing in schools, and how there really is very little incentivizing. Right. Uh, there's very little incentive to actually learn that high schools are very much like colleges kind of becoming a sort of diploma mill almost where it's it's meant to you go in you undergo this process your this raw material that this education stuff happens to and you come out with a piece of paper that says that you you know are are a valid a valid person or you know have uh have the credentials to <laughs> work x y and z jobs um i i mean well you know i i i mean i couldn't help I, and before i guess maybe before we we move all the way on to the atlantic thing when he was talking about you know how you have to make the opportunity and the willingness to learn a part of your life i thought about you know you watch something like inside the actor's studio you know, and you hear about these these actors that we respect and we admire, and that we uh, and that we take very seriously as as sort of proponents of their craft. And you find out that they're all taking acting right. lessons. They're all still taking acting classes from teachers that they respect. You know, because all of them, even though we may consider them to be at the height of their craft, are still actively trying to learn how to get better. Uh, you know, I got my degree in poetry because I wanted to be a rich man. I, you know, I thought I knew something about how poetry worked. And then a couple years ago, I, I ran by a used bookstore and I saw a little tiny book of about 70 pages called Rhymes Reason. And it was about a variety of different kinds of forms of poetry. And I was like, oh, this could be a fun little thing to have on my coffee table or something. And, you know, I was thinking, oh, well, I already know everything that's in this book. I don't need to read it. I already understand what's in here because I have my degree in poetry because I want to be a rich guy. And then I started to read Ryan's Reason. And I very not only is it a fantastic book that anybody interested in poetry should buy, I was very quickly humbled um, because I realized how much there was that I didn't know. You know, I thought I knew what I was talking about when I started talking about poetry and started talking about, started talking about forms and started talking about things like rhythm, you know, I thought I knew what I was getting at, but I realized on reading that there was so much that I didn't already know, so much that I still had yet to learn, and and that really, that blew my mind because it made me recognize how much more, not only I, but I think anybody involved in any kind of creative pursuit, just like an actor uh, taking acting classes, I, I think anybody always has more that they can learn because a, a really... Um, a really sort of deep medium is always going to be uh, is always going to be further deep than we have already traveled. You know, it's always going to be something. Uh, it's always going to be something that we can continue to explore and continue to learn uh, from. I think one of the things that Ivan Illich really gets right in in these schooling society is that we always have to have the opportunity. And the we have to have the willingness to learn every day, and we have to create a structure that allows us to take advantage of the opportunity to learn. You know, one of the one of the things that really hit me in that um, Wesley McNair thing that we read two shows ago, or whenever that was, right. um, about about poetry and writing, 
was he talked about yeah. how they only they only teach you how to do one kind of writing in school. Uh, if mm-hmm. you if you go to school for writing, you're going to learn the singular brand of writing and nothing outside of that, um, which is fine if that's what you want to learn. But the fact is that. Um, you know, especially people who gain an education outside of, like, normal institutional uh, education, there's always, there's there's this question of, like, well, what do you know what to learn? What do you know what's important to learn? Um, but, you know, to to answer that question with another question, like, do, do professors necessarily know what needs to be learned? I And I don't want to sound so, like... Well. I don't know, insurrectionary or whatever. Um, well, as 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 I recall, Robin, you you went you went to school on a forest. Um, yes, this is right. <laughs> you went um, you you went to school with 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 Thumper and and Bambi, or something, right? <laughs> yes, um, I had a yoga instructor who was a moose. <laughs> Well, you know, and there's always, uh, you know, you, you go, you go to one of these, you go to one of these regular high schools, and you always run into these stock characters. You run into, you run into your thumper. But when you go to a a, a different kind of a school that doesn't, uh, that doesn't teach students in the same way, like like you went to school in the forest, um, you know, you may not run into the same cast of characters because people aren't being pressured in the same institutional ways. Sure. Yeah, that that's certainly a part of it. And especially like um you know, I for, for those for those of you who who don't know what uh going to school in the woods is code for, I went to a Montessori school for most of my life actually. And um there's a very large uh emphasis on the student teaching themselves on the student choosing you know what at what pace they want to learn and that kind of thing and um that's it's really only kind of up into a point like especially um maria montessori didn't develop a curriculum after i think sixth grade or something so it's kind of extrapolated after that but um there's i certainly have been given this awesome privilege to um take a lot of my learning into my own hands and uh that's you know so many people see schooling see the however many years you go to school as the part of your life where you learn and then after that you're done with learning um which is awful that's that's the worst uh learning like learning is is kind of the activity of living in my opinion um and every you know every Atlantic article you read, every uh, uh, sci-fi paperback you read, every Korean revenge film you watch is part of your education, uh, whether whether you intend it to be that or not. And so I think that, I don't know, I, I think that there's kind of this unhealthy emphasis, and this is kind of what Ivan Illich gets at, there's kind of this unhealthy emphasis on how much institutionalized schooling is learning, which you know he he posits just isn't true. Well, and this this is what gets kind kind of attacked. Maybe attacked is too strong a verb, but you know this is kind of what gets attacked in in the uh, in the Atlantic article, right? Is like yeah, I love on the on in one of the opening paragraphs he refers to 
uh, what we called the good high school as the great American dragon, which, which I, thought was, <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. Yeah. I wrote that down. Uh, you talked about how high schools mean to produce these these well-rounded students, right? The, you know, the, these students who are kind of loudly average. You know, they call they call it they call it greatness. They say, "Oh, we're striving for excellence," but really, you're just you're just trying to create these "quote unquote" well-rounded students who are just very noisily average. Right. That's yeah. That's a really I like that phrase, noisily average. Um, title that can that can be the title there. Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I started thinking that a lot too. I think over the past couple of years, I've had a kind of a growing suspicion for um, the whole idea of like a well-rounded student or even, um, you know, I it hurts me to say it, but even like the whole idea of a liberal arts curriculum. Um, because, for instance, the, uh, the school that I'm going to now is uh, really awesome. It's it's a very it's a very liberal arts school. It's also kind of in the woods, and um, you know it has a natural arts core curriculum, a humanities core curriculum, and a social sciences core curriculum. And but I mean, people go there to basically to read Heidegger and sit in a circle and talk about it. The natural sciences curriculum is abysmal. Um, I, I hate to say it, but it's just, um, it's, they, they try to construct it along this kind of chronological, um, order. So, you know, you start with Aristotle and like the, the parts of animals or whatever that is, which is, I don't know. It's, (laughs) um, a lot of, a lot of the questions I have of like, why are we reading this if we know it's wrong? Um, (laughs) right. It, that gets pretty frustrating pretty fast. Um, yeah. But uh, I, I think the whole idea of, you know, creating a well-rounded student is kind of idealistic. Because you're right. I think what that means is, you know, producing a lot of people with um, a lot of interests and a lot of general knowledge of things, but no, couldn't say in the slightest that they have any expertise Right. right. Well, I, I've you know I've actually I've been thinking about this a lot lately um, because I feel that I personally have a, what you might call a wide but shallow knowledge. You okay. know, like I feel like I know a little about a lot, and and you know you could argue that that that's a product of of my personal choices. You could also argue that that's a you know I I know I know a little bit about a lot of different kinds of beer, um, and you could argue that that's a product of my personal choices, but. Um, I think that to some degree that's a product of the way that we organize that we organize educating people these days. You know, I I think it's 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 a product of you know like this guy uh, Edmondson in in the Atlantic piece. He talks about about the scholarly enclave, right? Yeah. And and he never really he never you know this kind of bugged me. He never really defined what a scholarly enclave really is this is a, he, he use it's a, it's a phrase he uses as a positive like oh we should be pursuing these schools that are more akin to scholarly enclaves he doesn't really yeah. say where it is but he but he, you get the sense at least i got the sense from the article that it's a place dedicated to like the isolated development of of knowledge right it, it's it, you go somewhere and you focus on something and you become 
as you said, it's not going to go an expert, right? You, you know, you, you, you become very familiar with the knowledge base. God, that makes, ugh, I spend too many, t- too much time on computers. I'm sorry. Um, but you become very familiar with the knowledge base of, of your subject matter. But, but I think that if you expand that approach beyond, you know, the, the educational institution, if you expand that approach to, you know, not just a place, but people that are dedicated to the development of their own knowledge and the development of their own sort of human potential, right? I, I think that's when it gets interesting is because because you're not relying on any kind of institution to tell you that you've done a good job. Um, yeah. You're, in, you're instead understanding that at a certain point, you do plainly know more than most people know about a certain subject. And you can exercise that knowledge in the creation of something that goes beyond what most people would expect. Right. Yeah, I I think you're certainly right. And I think that, you know, one of the one of the things that um, he kind of mentions in passing that Atlantic article is about history, is about how um, <laughs> a lot of schools now stop at World War Two because, you know, quote unquote, there's not enough time. So yeah, I mean, you're right that going into depth is not, it's not encouraged and it's not provided for at all. You know, the one, kind of the one exception of something like that would be like a trade school or something like that. I think people should make an effort to develop, um, to develop depth of knowledge in something because once you have that, you can begin to do something that most people can't do that will help you to stand out. You know, it's, it's like, this is, this is like what Sam was talking about on the last, on the last uh, program. Um, you know, he was talking, you know, talking about, you know, be so good. They can't ignore you. The way you be so good. They can't ignore you is, is by having a base of knowledge. Most people don't have that you can build on. You know, the, the way that you get to do things nobody's done before is by knowing things most people don't know, so that you can go from there. One of the other one of the other things in here that that I really loved was he, he talked he talked about talked about Mario Savio. Yeah, Edmondson didn't quote the parts that most people would recognize. Um, the 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 parts most people would recognize are the parts where he's talking about you've got to put your bodies upon the gears and upon the wheels, and you've got you, you've got to say stop. You know. These, they, this is the this is the section that most people know. But he, and they they even I mean like they they used it in uh, I'm gonna out myself even nerdier than I already have. But they used it in uh, Battlestar Galactica uh, at one what? point. In, yeah, in like in that crazy season where they're on the alien planet and when the dude quoted it in Battlestar Galactica, I got goosebumps sitting watching it on my laptop in my living room. You know. Um, oh man. But. He he rightfully quotes uh, he, he he's he's quoting it in this article talking about how students are not um our students are not raw materials that are to be converted into some kind of uh into some kind of ideal uh some kind of ideal substance that represents the college graduate or the person that has learned things. Yeah. yeah. Um um Okay, so first of all, I have to mention something else about Battlestar Galactica. This is really bad. Uh, okay. So I went to the Lyndon B. Johnson Museum while I was in Austin, and they, you know, they have this old press photo of when he uh, uh, got sworn into office, and I didn't realize this. He was sworn into office on Air Force One. 
Yeah. And the sh- like the way the shot is framed is exactly the way the shot is framed when the president in Battlestar Galactica gets sworn in. Yeah, it was perfect. Yeah. No, that man, that shit, man. People, mom and Robin's mom, if you haven't seen Battlestar Galactica, you got to watch the program. It's a whole don't 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 watch season five. Season five is miserable. <laughs> but but the first 40 seasons are so good. You got to watch Battlestar Galactica because they yeah, they got the Mario Savio and they got they got the they got the LBJ references and they got so much more. It's such such a quality, such a quality program. Oh, man. Yeah, we'll put it in the show notes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yep, that was... <laughs> Thank you for indulging us. Um, You're welcome. Um, it's a thing they call it a derail. Um, yeah. But I, I, I don't know. Do you have... Because I have a couple of other notes on the Atlantic. Do you have other thoughts on the Atlantic article? I don't know. Just to kind of reiterate, I guess, I would, I would kind of posit that um, maybe this whole idea of a well-rounded education isn't all it's cracked up to be. Um, I, I think that, yeah, it, like you said, it kind of, um, breeds a little, uh, kind of a sense of mediocrity. Um, and, uh, that's not good. That's not what you want. But yeah, I, I took issue with, I guess some of his ideas. Um, I don't know. Yeah. He kind of, he kind of made it sound like your two options are like, you know, a bearded scholar or a tech startup junkie person like you talked about like the what he calls the corporate city colleges you know how the the whole you know that what really your main job is to look busy but i think that holds true not just for for colleges but but for a wide variety of of places not that i work at any of these but a whole <laughs> wide not a whole wide variety of places where people's main job is to run around and, and look real real frustrated and busy all the time um yeah i just think that so much polarization and um, kind of sightedness is, <laughs> I mean, like he doesn't, he, he doesn't give a clear answer, which I guess is forgivable. Um, you know, he, he kind of ends with like, you should go to a place where, uh, you know, everybody wears elbow patches and reads dusty tomes. Um, <laughs> but, but that's, <laughs> That's that's great. Like, yeah, read read your dusty tomes, but you know, you you've got to leave the library every once in a while. One of the other things we read, which is in the show notes, dear listeners, uh, is the Uncollege Manifesto, and I really like Uncollege. Uh, the the manifesto that Dale Stevens wrote for the manifesto, he's a creator of it. Um, he, it's it's a really good kind of starting place for a lot of thinking about. Um, maybe some of the flaws with academia. And one of the things he talks about is is kind of um, the mindset that college is almost this holding pin before the real world, or not holding pin, like a waiting pool. It's so that you can get your toes wet, but you don't actually have to face the uh, terrors that is that are the real world. Um, the idea of avoiding the real world, <laughs> like, if, that, if that's not disturbing to you, I don't know, that's... Um, having your nose in your books should be a part of your real world. Um, hmm. so, uh, yeah, I mean, maybe I'm being circular here, but kind of cordoning off that part of your life is um, so not necessary. Uh, and that's that's kind of the main thing he's, he's getting at here is how, you know, that kind of institutionalized learning is, is actually kind of counterproductive because it 
makes you think of learning in such a cordoned off way uh, that it happens in this part of your life and then when you're done you're done with learning I mean you know this I, I lean hard on on learning about craft and technique because to me that's key to me learning about how I mean the part of the reason I wanted to do this whole show to begin with was because like to me learning about how people that have done some of the best work that we've ever known learning about the process that they went through to get to the point where they were capable of that and this is like the Ken, the Ken Robinson thing, the, the the TED talk. And he closes the talk with a quote from Yates. You know, the it's a quote a lot of people know about the you know, um, you know, tread softly because you tread on my dreams. You know, talk about tread softly because you tread on my dreams. How many, how many unfinished and how many crappy and how many poems with which he was not satisfied must somebody like Yates have thrown on the ground? I don't know. There's so much that we learn on our own, and there's so much that we can learn on our own, and how much that has been kind of looked down upon is really a shame and and kind of the disrespect that has been paid to students and to children is um is so antithetical to real learning and you know somebody's got to change that mindset he has that that great line about how it's hard to know what you take for granted because because you're busy taking it for granted and i i couldn't help but think about like how much are we held back by the things that we don't even know we take for granted. The things that we, uh, he calls it the tyranny of common sense, you know, the things that we that we assume are true. How much are we held back in terms of trying to learn new things and trying to add to our skills? How much are we held back by the things that we assume are true about how we ought to learn? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, kind of a part of, habits is when you when you do something habitually that is the road to like being good at a thing um like one yeah you know for using the guitar metaphor i am pretty good at telling myself that like man all i really need to be good is to just like practice for half an hour every day uh, and i don't do that um and you know what i really could be really good if i practice for half an hour a day yeah. but I mean, like, I mean, think of us, think of us, somebody like somebody like Tom Morello, the the guitar player from from Rage Against the Machine, who also uh, also unfortunately for all of us writes writes bad folk songs. When he was in college, he was spending literally two hours every day playing the guitar, and that's how you wound up with a guy that could like shred with the best of them on that first yeah. Rage Against the Machine record. This is a good one. I'm I, hey, you should. Uh, you should um what what they what they say in the special forces you should you should take point uh more often uh you should mm. you, you should ta- you should take point uh and and I, I don't i don't mean like uh i don't mean like uh chuck e cheese like you you like earning points you got to you got to take point you know no it's a good I, one. I don't know what you mean <laughs> it's, it's i'm just you got you got you got to take the lead man i i i, I want to see more programs okay. uh where you where you're you're uh you're 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 taking taking point t- doing doing recon doing the recon i can do that yeah man i took the recon class at my liberal arts college <laughs> right that's the 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 liberal arts college where the, where they're training you to be uh where they're training you to be uh uh, uh murderous secret agents very well read navy seals that's right that's right <laughs> seal team socrates that's what they call you
Yes. Oh my god. <laughs> well, hey, um, I have enjoyed this as always, and I will talk to you next week. Yeah. Uh, you have a good one over there, buddy. All right. I'll see you. Okay. Bye, Justin.